Welcome to today's newsroom special with Liam Riley. It is estimated that 7 million British women suffer with urinary incontinence, equating to 1 in 3 of all 20-25-year-olds. Despite incontinence products selling at an extraordinary rate, the stigma surrounding this condition has resulted in just 1 in 20 sufferers seeking treatment. The embarrassment surrounding incontinence does not seem to stop sufferers from seeking symptom management products. In 2015, sales of incontinence products hit highs of 18.5 billion units worldwide. Most of these were disposable products, which contribute to the 100,000 tonnes of unflushable waste that is collected by waste authorities in the UK. So, how can we tackle the symptoms, the waste and the taboo? We were joined on the line by medical scientist and managing director of iMedica, Darren Breen, and qualified physiotherapist, Ethan Neoki. So how it can affect a woman's everyday life is that if she has urinary incontinence, she is maybe not as likely to socialise as she did before. She mightn't be as likely to go out. She might be afraid that, the, you know, if there was a leak of urine, that it might be visible on her clothes. She might be afraid of an odour, might affect her anxiety levels. She might go to her Zumba class or she might be, you know, taking her regular exercise before as she did. Mm. It limit might also affect her in another way as well, you know, a more intimate way in terms of her sexual function. Right, okay. And we find if you have urinary incontinence that, you know, it does put you off sexual intercourse. Right, and Darren, can you tell us more about why women aren't taking more preventative measures? I was linked to what Eva was just talking about in terms of um, the social embarrassment is a taboo around the issue of talking about leakage. It's a, it's a very private topic and uh, it's, it creates a lot of distress. Women are also, I suppose, to some extent unaware that uh, the NHS offers a fantastic range of products and services to assist in the treatment. And to some extent, women nowadays, uh, I suppose, they, they accept their incontinence as part of the aging process and they just learn to, to live with it and accept it and manage it with disposable pads, which, which they really shouldn't. So incontinence is not uncommon. It, it's, it's very common, but it's not normal. And patients shouldn't uh, allow themselves to believe it is normal. They should look for help and uh, for management and treatment if possible. Right, so that is a, a misconception that you shouldn't have to live with it. It isn't, isn't just yes. a process of ageing. Yes, absolutely. Correct. And Liam, just to say as well, you know, a hundred-year-old muscle could be retrained. <coughs> You're never too old. Mm. Um, you, some of your listeners might think, oh, I've tried those in the past. I'm, pa-, you know, I'm past this. That's not true. Right, okay. And you mentioned disposable pads before, Darren. Just, and this is in the news a lot lately. Just how much are these disposable products affecting the environment? Well, Michael Gove was talking about this at the, the recent Conservative Party conference. The, there's a, a concern because up to 3 billion units of incontinence underwear are put in landfill each year. That's 2 to 3% of all household landfill, which is an enormous volume. And, of course, these uh, items are non-biodegradable. They take up to 500 years to be uh, to decompose mm. at an enormous cost to the environment. So the government is looking at more cost-effective and environmentally friendly solutions, trying to encourage healthcare providers and manufacturers to switch towards either biodegradable solutions or reusable solutions. So, for example, nowadays it's possible to buy incontinence underwear that have a built-in pad <coughs> that can be washed and reused up to 250 times. And that's potentially much better for the environment, provided 
that they're washed and dried with a low energy cycle. Right, and Aoife, I suppose one of the most eco-friendly ways is more preventative measures being taken. And you mentioned being able to exercise a muscle. Could you tell us more about that? Yes, that's right, Liam. So we have these muscles in our pelvis. It's called our pelvic floor muscles. And just to say, Liam, men also have these muscles. Mm. And if we can get these muscles working correctly and in the normal range of function, that can really treat urinary incontinence. So there is a, you know, a series of exercises that your physiotherapist will put the woman or the man through and um, it will depend on your baseline level of function. And Liam, I think it is important to say that some listeners here will have said, well, I tried those pelvic floor exercises before and I couldn't do them, I couldn't find the muscles. And just with the advances in technology, um, I suppose from an assessment point of view, from ultrasound imaging, MRI imaging, the physiotherapist knows where to search for the dysfunction. And then there have been new advances in terms of technologies and devices that give feedback to the women when they're trying to find these muscles. So there is a a product of Vibrance, which actually gives biofeedback or a vibration when the muscles are identified and contracted correctly. Mm -hmm. And then what's really good with that as well, Liam, is that the exercise can be progressed. There is a resisted device that's applied and it's a little bit harder for the woman to contract the muscle correctly and that progresses. So I think it's important um, not to, you know, that it's not a sheet of exercises that is given out, not a one-size-fits-all, that it's tailored to the pelvic floor of the woman and that it's progressed and that she's supervised. Just lean as well, I think it's important to say that sometimes the pelvic floor muscles can be in spasm. Yeah, I don't know if you ever got a cramp in your leg where, you know, the muscle was cramping. Sometimes these pelvic floor muscles need to be lengthened and maybe uh, uh, down-trained and then trained correctly. Right, okay. And what other factors are there that, that may affect incontinence? Maybe there's other preventative measures too, like uh, lifestyle choices, diet, yes. weight. Yeah, a very good point, Liam. Just a few things, I suppose. Well, our bowels are located very close to our bladders. So these same muscles, by training them and working them, is very good for bowel function. But it would be important to have your, you know, to have good digestion, good gut motility, you know, and to be emptying your bowel well. That will often really help your your bladder function. Also, as well, uh, you know, we are living longer, Liam, and unfortunately in society we're getting a little bit heavier. So to keep your body mass or your weight you know, at an acceptable level, you know, for bladder dysfunction and sometimes prolapse we see with bladders. Um, If your body mass index is less than 30, that's a good idea. But you see, Liam, the difficulty is these problems sort of stop you exercising. You're, you know, you're not able to. Mm. So, you know, I suppose I would urge your listeners, you know, maybe some of the wearable underwear that Darren talked about, wear that while you continue to exercise, while you continue to tackle the problem. Um, So plenty of exercise. Again, your physiotherapist will advise you as well about your fluid intake. You know, we all do um, drink different amounts of fluid. Now, when you have urinary incontinence, you're inclined to think, well, if I drink less, I mightn't have as many leaks. And, you know, we need fluid for a lot of things. So that's necessarily not good. Of course, low fluid can affect our bowels and, you know, it can be, we can be more constipated. Mm. So you're, you're absolutely right to say that, that, you know, there can be a few other factors that we could do to help ourselves. But you can't beat the general exercise, you know, keeping exercising, having good core muscles, mm. our abdominal muscles, keeping them in good shape. 
Okay, so just yeah. to sum up, if people want to find out more about those, the pelvic exercises and the products that are available to them, where can they go? Well, we'd always encourage patients to visit their GP and seek a referral to a, a specialised pelvic floor scenario in secondary care in a, in a local hospital and maybe seek a management solution from the Continence Advisory Service. The charitable organisation that provides fantastic information is bladderandbowelukuk.co.uk. And uh, I made a care provide a range of assistive technologies for both the management and treatment of urinary incontinence at mypelvichealth.co.uk. Okay, well, Darren and Eva, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, Liam. Thank, thank you. you. Across West Yorkshire, Manchester, and Glasgow, this is Sunrise Radio on FM, DAB, online, mobile, tablet, and TV.